I'd like to invite you this morning to take your Bibles and join me in turning to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 is where we'll be today. Uh, Acts chapter 8. We're going to spend some time in our study there. Recently, a man who'd been attending our church for a good long while approached me and he said, Pastor, I just want you to know that my job's moving me. You won't be seeing me as regularly as you have. And and uh, we talked and I thanked him for his faithfulness over the years. He had been faithful and and uh, we had a great talk with one another. As, as we got ready to end the talk, he kind of looked down for a minute, and, and then he looked back up, and he said, Pastor, I think there's something you need to know. And just the way he did that let me know there was something going on that I, I probably should be aware of. And, and uh, looking down, looking up, he, he had my attention, and he went on to share the story with me that I thought was a pretty incredible story. He said, Pastor, before I visited Coastline Baptist Church, I was at a real low point in my life. And he, he went on to tell me that as he evaluated his life, he looked at it and he came to the conclusion there was really nothing in it worth living for. And he made a decision that he was going to end his life. And as he, as he went through that process in his mind, he thought, you know, I probably should go to church one time before I do this. That was his thought. And so he said, I began to think, what church should I go to? And somehow a an opportunity came where he had heard of Coastline Baptist Church, and he thought, all right, I'll go to church, and, and then my life will be over. And he came to Coastline, and, and he said, things really began to change for me at that day. He said, and this was his word, this is not my word, this, this was his word. He said, the people there were hospitable. I thought it was interesting he'd use that word, because that's the very word we read in the Bible that tells us how we're to be. He said, the people there were hospitable. And he talked about, he, he came that first week, and the next week, he didn't follow through on what his plans were, and he was back at church the next week, and then the next week, and, and he talked about how over the course of time, uh, through the preaching and teaching, through the connection that he found here, through the friendships ultimately, that, that he came to the conclusion that he wanted to commit his life to Christ, and, and everything changed, leaving a very different person than, than he had arrived. As I thought about that story that he shared with me, of course, I never would have known that had he not shared uh, I thought, first of all, what, what great people you guys are. And I'm glad there's a place. I know we're not the only place, but I'm glad there's a place in our region where somebody who's that low can come and, and people will be kind to him. And I thought, who could we thank for this man's turnaround in life? And for all we know, it, it started with a parking lot attendant who said, good morning, glad you're here, and, and a greeter that, that smiled and said, thanks for coming today, and meant it, and gave a bulletin, and an usher that said, can I help you find a seat, or, or a connection group leader that said, hey, why don't you come be a part of our group? I, I, I don't know where we would even begin, but I want you to know your influence in that way makes a great difference, and you never know who you're encouraging. Just this week, I was blessed to be uh, with, with a couple that had visited our church, and, and, and a lady prayed to accept Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. How many of you think that was a good decision she made? But I want you to know, before we ever got to that point in the conversation, she said, you know, that was the friendliest church I've ever been to. And she named several people's names in our church. This is someone who'd been one time. She, she gave me several people's names of those that had gone out of their way to be kind to her and encourage her. And, and uh, we're not a perfect church. We're, we're very aware of that. But I'm very thankful that you guys are conscientious and, and you have a heart for others. But as I continued to think through that, my thought was this. What a great God we have. 
His grace is so great, none of us are beyond it. His love is so immense, none of us are out of its reach. And I'm, I'm thankful for a God that can find us in our very lowest moments of life when we feel unloved, we feel as though we don't even have any concern for our own life. And in a moment like that, we can have an encounter with God that changes everything. And, and literally, our lives could take on new meaning. I'm thankful for what we read in Luke's Gospel, where the Bible tells us that Jesus, that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He, he didn't come to find the excellent, to find the lovable, to find the redeemable. He came to people that were lost. And friends, that's all of us at one point or another. I'm thankful for a God like that. He's an all-knowing, all-loving, unchanging, ever-present God. Now, we're four weeks now into this series that we've had as a church family. And this is our final, our final message in this series. The series has been entitled, Declare His Glory. And of course, those words come from Psalm 96. And I've talked all the way through this series of messages that it's directed to believers. Now, if you're here today and you have not yet become a Christian, again, I'm glad you're here. And you'll learn things in this message that can help in any area of life. And hopefully you'll hear some things about Jesus that would encourage you in that regard. But this message is really directed at everybody, but specifically people of faith and even more so to our church family. As our series began, we talked about declare his glory. What is the meaning of that? And in Psalm 96, when David said that, he talked about it's living a life as a witness. And what does a witness in a trial do? He just tells what he knows. And for people of faith, if we're going to declare God's glory, the meaning of it all is just tell what you know. Speak up for Jesus Christ. We talked about the message of it all. It's salvation because of God's grace and through faith. We studied that together in Ephesians 2. Uh, We found a a model church when it comes to declaring His glory. Last week, we looked at the church in Thessalonica. They touched their whole region. And I'm glad for a God that is so great that He can, through a church, touch a whole region. Today, I want to talk about a, a, a mode. How do we personally declare the glory of God with another? Folks, I want you to know, I believe this message is incredibly important. Because if we learn this today... We can touch the lives of people that we come in contact with all over. I believe deeply in what we're going to study today. And my prayer is that if you know the Lord, that you'll get involved in this study right away and you'll be helped by it so you can help others. And if you're here today and you have yet to meet Jesus Christ, the great news is he's worthy of knowing and he loves you. And we can all be helped in this regard. And so if you're able this morning, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to the text together. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Acts chapter 8. We're going to read a few more verses than we typically do, and I need to make a little commentary along the way to kind of bring us up to speed, but it's okay if we use the Bible today here at church and everything, isn't it? Yeah, good. Most of you thought it was. So we're going to get in the Bible, and Acts chapter 8 is where we are, beginning in verse 26. And the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now again, I'll read on, but we meet a couple people already in our text. We meet a man by the name of Philip, and Philip is the life we're going to study to learn how we, to do what he did, can, can have an impact in someone else's life. But we meet another man, the Bible just tells us he was an Ethiopian man, And he worked in the court of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. He was what we might call today the treasurer. And uh, he kept uh, charge of all that. That meant he was a very important man. He would have been a connected man, a powerful man, an educated man. I'm sure a wealthy man. And we also find out that in the midst of this time in his life, he's on a journey from Jerusalem back to Ethiopia. And he went to Jerusalem 
to worship. And, and, and more than that, I think it would be fair to say to investigate. He went from his country to another country. He'd heard of these people that worshipped a Jehovah God there and, and, and was looking into it all. And so that's where we begin. As we continue reading in verse 28, the Bible says, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. And so this man is here reading the Old Testament. Of course, they didn't have the New Testament at that time. So this man's reading the Old Testament, Isaiah. It says Esaias here, but he's speaking of Isaiah, verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him and, uh, and, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? I just love the spirit of Philip here, you know. He didn't come in wanting to tell everybody what everything was about. He, he came in very, very gently with a question. Uh, hey, do you understand what you're reading there? And he said, verse 31, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now I'm going to read on again. But the passage of Scripture this guy was reading was Isaiah chapter 53. He was reading in that Scripture a prophecy of Jesus Christ, who of course had come. And, and he's reading through here and, and uh, not understanding. Verse 34, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? So he said, who's he talking about here? Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm going to read on, but. When he said Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he was basically saying, I am a Christian. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That word in the language of the New Testament, Christos, means the one promised of from the Old Testament. What he was saying was this. You know those words we read in Isaiah 53 a minute ago, Philip? I believe that that was Jesus he was talking about. And I believe that he came, that he lived that he died on the cross of Calvary, was buried, and he rose again. That was the teaching of, of the Christ, the Messiah. He said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he's the Son of God, the deity of Jesus Christ there. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way. Rejoicing. I want you to look to the end of verse 35 for a minute, if you would. The end of that verse, we find a great statement. The Bible says this, And preached unto him Jesus. And preached unto him Jesus. I want us to think of this together today. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you that when we open the Bible, we're not studying just the tradition of men or, or some religious dogma or creed, but we're opening your perfect word. And Lord, I pray that as we study today and as we glean principles from the life of Philip on how we can be an influence in the lives of others for the cause of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive towards what we hear. And God, I pray that if it changes in order, that we would adjust in the way that you would have us to. Thanks for loving us and accepting us. And, 
And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a, a powerful witness for your glory. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks a lot. You may be seated. I remember when I was growing up, I would hear at times in church people talk about heaven. And they would talk about heaven in, in a way that I don't know if they did it intentionally or if it was just the way I was hearing. But it made heaven sound not all that interesting to me. I kind of got the idea if you made it to heaven, you'd float around in the clouds and you'd play a harp and you'd sing a lot. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of scared of heights and I don't like to play the harp and I'm not a very good singer. And, and so they'd explain heaven as kind of, you know, you float around up there. And, and uh, to be honest with you, it didn't sound all that interesting to me. Now, I knew there was an alternative to going to heaven when you die. I'd heard of another place and it was a place we don't even really like to talk about. But it's a place, frankly, that Jesus talked about more than he talked about heaven. I'm I'm talking about the awful place the Bible calls hell. I knew I didn't want to go there. And the good news is nobody has to go there. Nobody has to go there. And so I knew that if I was a Christian, if I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I could go to heaven not because I'm good or great or any of the rest, but because God keeps his word and, and he loves people and he's provided a way for those who believe to know that they could go to heaven. But I began to think about heaven. And I want you to know the Apostle Paul, when he talked about heaven in Philippians 1, he evaluated it on the basis of comparing it with this life. And he said, heaven, it's far better. Let me tell you what heaven will be like. It'll be like all the good in this life. And there is some good in this life. There are a lot of things to enjoy in this life. It's like all the good without the bad. And then it's better than that. It's better than that. Better by far. I'm telling you, heaven's a place that you'll want to go. It's a great place. The greatest thing about heaven is that Jesus will be there. And he wants everybody to be there. His will is that none would perish, the Bible says, but that all would come to repentance. Heaven's a great place. It's a place where we ought to want to go, but more than that, it's a place where we ought to want others to go. And we ought to want to help others to stay away from the awful alternative, the place the Bible calls hell. In heaven, we will sing praises to God. We'll worship Him in heaven. In fact, we'll do a lot of the things we've done today in church in heaven. We'll do that. But there's something in heaven that we'll never have an opportunity to participate in or to observe. In heaven, we will never get to see somebody born again by faith into the family of God. We'll never in heaven get to see anybody admit their sinfulness and turn to Jesus Christ for their soul's salvation because in heaven, everybody's already a believer. In heaven, everybody's already made that decision. So I want our church today to understand the reality that of all that we're, we're going to do in this lifetime, there's something that we can only do in this lifetime. I don't want to denigrate the value of powerful music. I've been blessed thoroughly today by the music. My heart's been ministered to. I, I'm not denigrating the value of music, but today I want to elevate the importance of telling people, men and women and boys and girls, about this loving Savior of ours who came so that we don't have to pay for our sins and can spend forever in heaven with Him. You see, the fact that sharing our faith can only be done while we're living on earth should motivate us to fulfill this great purpose. Now, the first century believers understood this. Against all odds, in a climate with a lot of persecution, a lot of adversity, the first century believers literally turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. They literally allowed the gospel through their lives to be spread around the world. And, and here we see Philip, a man in this first century church, a great man, he was an evangelist, he was a deacon, and, and this was a man that was a declarer of God's glory. We find him in the Bible preaching to huge crowds, and yet we also find him in the Bible speaking just to an individual. He didn't care if it was a big crowd or just one person. What was 
of utmost importance to him was the message. What am I sharing with my life? What am I declaring with my life? Is, is it my own glory or am I telling others of the glory of God? We see that he comes to this Ethiopian man and, and we find through Philip's example some elements that we all can have if we would like our lives to be used for the glory of God, for the benefit of those around us. And I'm going to trust today that you would like your life to be used for something as important as sharing the eternal truths of God's word. So if you've got your outline near, nearby today, I want us to take a look at Philip today. What do we see? The first element we see is this. Philip was sensitive to the prompting of the Spirit. He was sensitive to the prompting of the Spirit. Now, the passage began in, in verse 26 as we started reading by saying this. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And, and the Bible tells us that when Philip heard that, he responded. He obeyed. And what's interesting is when that message came to Philip, he was in a place called Samaria. He was preaching to huge crowds. Many, many people were getting saved. He's right in the middle of a great work, and God says, Philip, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave that big work you're doing. I want you to go way far out of the way to a desert area where you're going to share the gospel with one person. But in the heart of someone that's going to be used of God, there needs to be this willingness to say, God, if I don't even understand it, that's okay. Uh, I, I know that you do. I'll follow you. And Philip said, all right. He responded immediately and, and left this great big work to go speak to one person. In verse 27, we read, he arose and went in. When he saw this man, the Bible tells us of Philip that he found an Ethiopian man, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And the Bible says that as Philip saw this man, there was a prompting inside him. The, the Spirit of God was prompting him and said this, Go near, join thyself to, his, to this chariot. And in response to this, Philip ran thither to him. Friends, I want you to know something. God the Spirit speaks to us. He impresses upon our hearts when things need to be done. He moves and guides and, and directs. And the first great lesson we find in Philip's life is the importance of doing what God tells us to do. Important simply of just doing what God tells us to do. And God tells us what it is that needs to be done in our lives today through the Bible. It's in the Bible. Now, Coastline Baptist Church, may I share something with you? We don't need to have a church vote. We don't need a debate. We don't need to ask people, what's your thoughts on this? The Bible's crystal clear. There is a preeminent purpose that brings us together as God's people here. We're no better than anybody else. But if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been born again into the family of God. We're a called out assembly that meets together for the purpose of Bible study, growth, and all the rest. But the objective that we have as a church family is the great commission of Jesus Christ, given in each of the Gospels, given in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. God's desire for our church is that we would be a church that declares His glory, that we would tell other people about Jesus Christ. But I want you to know as an individual, that's God's desire for your life as well if you're a Christian. This isn't something you hire a pastor or a church staff to do or, or that some people do. God's prayer is that every one of his children, that they would busy themselves with telling others about the Lord. Friends, listen for God directing you in your life and you'll hear him. I think of the passage in 1 Kings 19. We read in this text in verses 11 and 12. And, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Let me tell you something. Uh, God is certainly capable of raising the volume, so to speak, 
if his attention is needed, all right? But I have found that God is most commonly speaking today to his children in a still, small voice. Hey, go talk to him. Help him. Encourage him. That's how God speaks. Now, if you're here today and you've yet to meet the Lord as your personal Savior, again, as I said, I'm so glad you're here and getting in on this. Let me tell you, the first way the Holy Spirit of God speaks to to us before we're even Christians is to let us know that we need the Lord. Uh, Sometimes the world calls it guilt. I'm not for being under a guilt trip, not at all. But there are times where when we'll hear the truth taught in our lives, we're thinking, you know what? I'm not doing that. I need that. That's right. It agree, something agrees with us. We may not even like the message, but there's something that says what, what is being said there, that's right. And, and God, the Spirit, has a way of speaking to us. And when it comes to declaring His glory, we need to have the kind of heart that when the Lord speaks, we do what Philip did. We respond. I'll never forget the day I was able to spend with a co-worker years ago. I was working uh, near L.A. for an aerospace company, and we spent a whole day in, in the car. And I didn't hear an audible voice but an, impress, an impression in my spirit. Tell this guy about Jesus. I'll do it later. They went on. Tell, tell this guy about Jesus. Didn't do it. The day came and went. And uh, I don't know why I didn't. Probably the reason I didn't is I was afraid. You know? Just afraid, to be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? And uh, I was miserable that weekend. Because I knew in my heart, I had a whole, a whole day in a car with this guy. There was no reason not to share the gospel. It was a three-day weekend, that weekend, and I thought, you know, on Tuesday, I'm going to ask him if he wants to go to lunch or something, but i got to share the gospel with him. I was supposed to all day on Friday, and I didn't do it. And I remember I got to work Tuesday, and the first thing I, I did was ran into my boss, who shared with me that that co-worker had died over the weekend. You know, I thought of that. Not just that day or immediately thereafter, but often. Now, that man lived a life. He had decisions to make. And I don't know what he knew or did not know about the things of God. But I know this. God was prompting me to be a witness for him. He gave me a unique opportunity to do it. He was impressing my spirit. And I I know in my heart, I didn't do what God asked me to do. God will encourage us and direct us. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, the Bible says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And we often apply that to people that don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. The Bible says, get saved now. But the implication for those that do know the Lord is, we then need to be telling them now, teaching them what it is the Bible says, encouraging them along the way. Think of that truth in relationship to our witness. As our church makes our way to Open House Sunday, uh, I I can assure you of this. 100% of the guests that I don't invite won't come. But if what I read is correct, about three out of every four people that we personally invite respond to an invitation to come to a place where, Lord willing, they can meet people like you and hear the gospel message. Church, listen, in a matter of fact, as a way as I can possibly say it, God can use us if we'll be like Philip and listen to him and follow his leading. And do the things he, he asked us to do. As we continue looking on here, we see that Philip was, he was also sympathetic to the plight of the seeker. Philip met this man, he was thinking about spiritual things. And in fact, the Bible tells us that he was reading the Old Testament scriptures there in Isaiah. And 
And this man, you get the idea, he understood something was missing in his life. He made a long journey from Ethiopia uh, to Jerusalem. He was going there to observe the things in worship. As he's leaving Jerusalem, obviously his questions weren't answered. He still was trying to figure things out. And it was not hard for Philip to sense that this man needed the Lord. But I want you to hear the first remark that Philip gives to this man. The first words out of his mouth to this man were, were this. Understandest thou what thou readest? I love that. The first thing he did was ask the question. Statements sometimes can accuse. You don't know what you're reading, do you? No, 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 no. Much better to say, do you understand what you read? Statements have a way of accusing where questions probe the conscience. And Philip was the kind of guy who was sensitive. He didn't want to come in with guns blazing, condemning, judging, and all the rest. He wanted to come in as someone who was willing to help, someone who was eager to share Christ. And he began it all with a question. I found that one of the very best ways to begin to share the gospel is to begin with a question and let people open up and share with you where they are. That question opened the floodgates and and this powerful and connected and educated man started asking questions of his own. And so Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And in verse 34, this man asked a question right back. He said, you know, I pray to you, or I'm asking you, who's this prophet speaking of? Is he speaking of himself or somebody else? And verse 35 in our text is very crucial. I want you to look there. After all of this, questions, all right? The Bible says, then Philip opened his mouth. In other words, he didn't begin to witness per se, until this moment, then he opened his mouth. You get the idea from this that Philip was careful not to uh, go in there with over-aggressive zeal in such a way that he could do more harm than good. Can I share with you, I've seen many occasions over the years, even in my life and in the lives of others at times, where we have a zeal, we have a passion, and sometimes not as much wisdom as zeal, and we can go in and be so aggressive in our witness, we actually do more harm than good. Now listen, I already told you I'm a Christian. I believe there's a heaven to go to through faith in Jesus Christ. I believe there's an eternal separation from God and the awful place called hell to be avoided through faith in Christ. I believe this message is worthy of being shared. I'm a big fan of declaring His glory, but I've seen many times where the witness of Christians has probably not been near as effective as it could have been. I've yet to meet the guy who said, you know, I was watching a football game and there was a guy with a rainbow wig on. And he held up a sign that said, turn or burn. And it was right then, you know, I just decided. That's it. I'm getting saved right now. I've yet to meet that guy. You know, now can some good come from that guy? I, I don't know. I don't know uh, that he's hurting a whole lot. But you got to wonder. I, I've seen Christians at times literally stand on the street shouting at people as they walk by. And again, I'll, I'll give them kudos for the zeal. But I wonder, there's got to be a better way. Philip shows us the better way. The better way is to take time to get to know people, to talk with them to ask questions, to find out where they are in life, to find out uh, what, what questions they're entertaining so that we can help them to see that Jesus is the answer for the questions that we have. Philip's way is the better way. I remember when our church was just starting and and we were so excited anytime a guest came. And as far as I know, we've had a guest every Sunday since we started the church. And and uh, I would do then what I often do now. I'd, I'd ask folks, hey, could I come by, drop some information off about the church? Now, these days, if we have a guest come, and if you're a guest here today, I'm letting you in. You get the behind-the-scenes look. If we have a guest come today, they'll fill out the card, and normally we'll drop off an apple pie at their house. That's what we do. That's our way of saying thanks for uh, being our guest, all right? So now, if you're not a guest today, don't be filling out a card to try and trick me, okay? But that's what we do. We drop a pie off. You say, where'd you get that idea? Listen, I don't know. We just try to think, what's something nice we could do? 
do. The idea of pie came up. And so, pie, thanks for coming. That's what we do. In the early days, I'd often go by and, and I'd say, do you mind if I talk with you for, for, for a few minutes uh, about, about the church? And, and uh, they, they'd usually say, sure, no problem. You know? Now, I wasn't intentionally lying, but it was never a few minutes. That, a few means three, right? It was always more than three minutes. And in those early days, I was always so excited, so zealous to get in there and, and share with them what's going on at Coastline, which when we started was nothing, really, you know. I had to tell them what was going to be going on. And, and then I'd share the gospel. And I found that many times I'd get in there and I would just start talking the minute I walked in the door until the very end. And then I would leave and feel really good about how many words I said. And they would feel really good I was there because I, I was gone now because I wasn't saying any more words. I was driving them insane. And uh, I hope I'm exaggerating a little for the purpose of emphasis, but I've discovered over the years that the very best visits I make now, it's not the ones where I talk, it's ones where I listen, and where people feel like, you know, this guy cares. He's interested in what I'm going through, and, and he, he does want to help, and he understands he's got to have a context for, for where I'm coming from. And, and friends, I've really understood the value of just listening. The Apostle Paul always took time to discover who he was talking to. One time he was in Corinth on top of this place called Mars Hill, and as he was there, he's beginning to preach the truth. And in Acts 17, 22, Paul stood in the midst of Mar Hills, Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. Now, there's a lot that could be said about that, but he was able to stand there in front of that crowd and said, You know, I've perceived some things about you. What did that mean? I've been watching. I've been listening. I've been learning. I understand some things about you guys. And, and he listened to them. I, I heard a story about three friends who were hunting one day. And as they were hunting, they got out there and they were getting ready to go. But about that time, a big buck walked by. They put the gun to their shoulder, all three of them. And almost at the exact same second, they all three pulled the trigger. The deer fell down and they all ran over there. And all of them started saying, I got him. Well, they didn't all get him, right? And uh, so they started arguing one with another. One of the guys was a preacher and he was arguing too saying, I got him, I know I got him. And they're all saying, I got him. And as they're standing there shouting at one another, the game warden comes up. And what's going on here, guys? And they tell what happened. Man, we were just coming out here. Big deer walked by, and we, we shot just about the same time. And, and uh, the warden's checking their licenses, you know. And, and uh, he walks over, he looks at the deer, he says, the preacher shot him. And well, the other guys, are, they're upset. They say, well, how do you know the preacher shot him? He said, it went in one ear and out the other ear. The preacher had to have done that, you know. <laughs> and I think a lot of times that's how our witness goes. We're so interested in what we're saying rather than taking a minute to get to know and to listen to being concerned about their needs, uh, that it can go in one ear and out the other. Philip listened, and then, and then, verse 35, then he, then he opened his mouth. There's a good order there for us. As we continue looking here, we see he was scriptural in the presentation of the Savior. I want you to notice what Philip, uh, what Philip preached in verse 35, then... The Bible says he opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Let me tell you something. That message about Jesus, that's a good one, okay? Uh, th there are different ways to speak. Some people are very exciting. Some people are very loud. Some people are very quiet. And, and, and what's more important than any of the theatrics or antics or dynamics in public speaking is what's the content. Let me tell you something. If it's a message about Jesus, it's a good one. And Philip said, all right, you want to know? I'm going to talk to you, and I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. Acts 4 and verse 12 says this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Let me tell you something about humanity. Without exception, none of us are perfect. And we all need to be saved of our sins because a perfect God would not allow imperfect beings in his presence. We'd ruin everything. So God created a plan whereby we could be saved from the penalty of our sin and saved unto a relationship with him. And he tells us that there's only one way. There's no other way. 
Jesus is the way. That's the message that, that Philip preached. He preached Jesus. He didn't preach politics. He didn't preach preferences. He didn't preach personalities. He just preached Jesus. Now, I know that Jesus can change a life. But it always begins with what we call regeneration or new birth, being born again. It starts with salvation. So many times in our effort to bring people to Christ, we think, you know, well, they, they've got all these problems, you know, as though we don't. And, and so we start pounding on them from the outside to conform them to our image, ultimately. We start pounding on them. You need to change this. You need to change that. You need to get this squared away. And I can't believe this over here. And, and again, we're just coming down on them, coming down on them. And friends, that never works. That's not how Jesus changes anybody. He starts from the heart out. It's something that happens in the process of someone coming to know Jesus Christ and then growing in the Lord. So I was preparing this message. I, I had several names come to mind of people in our church, and I thought, you know, I'm going to tell their story, and I thought, well, it might embarrass them. And, and so I want you to know that the story I'm telling right now could apply to tons of people, I'm sure someone in every section here today. People that have come to Coastline and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it had an impact. I mean, things that didn't mean anything to them before mean something now. Uh, maybe there were some beliefs that changed to come into accordance with the Bible. I, I've seen people, now look, if, if you guys don't understand this, you haven't been here more than once. Everybody's welcome at Coastline Baptist Church. Everybody. But I've seen people that have come to know Jesus Christ and their whole look changed. And it wasn't because anybody here said your look needs to change. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, their demeanor changed. Sometimes the way they... They dressed or presented themselves, even changed. And it's not because anybody here said, well, you really need to change. But they, they began to understand, wow, if I'm a Christian, I'm representing Jesus Christ. And, and their whole worldview changed. That's what God does. That's not what we do. We preach Christ, and God does that change. In Romans 8, 29, the Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Listen, he, we've been predestined, destined in advance to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Think of that. He was scriptural in his presentation of the Savior. He didn't say, well, you know, guy, let me talk to you about all your problems here. He said, let me tell you about Jesus. And Jesus can handle your problems, okay? That was a great message Philip preached. The final thought I want us to consider today is this, that Philip was supportive in the progress of the saved. Now, as this passage comes to a close, we see that this man, Philip, wanted to, uh, or actually the Ethiopian man wanted to get baptized. We know he was coming from Jerusalem. He'd probably seen baptisms there. The front of the temple in Jerusalem is filled with a bunch of baptistries. They call them mikvahs. And, and uh, so this man from Ethiopia went to Jerusalem because he's got some questions, apparently. He's observing, watching the witness there, sees people get baptized. He's now talking with Philip. He hears about Jesus, and he trusts Jesus as his Savior. And uh, this is something he's done in his heart. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And so he, he tells Philip, uh, what would hinder me from getting baptized? That's a pretty good question. What would hinder me from getting baptized? And Philip's thinking with him. I want you to look at Acts chapter 8 here where we are, verses 36 to 38. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now think of that question. What would prevent me from getting baptized? Philip said this. 
if. There's a qualifier here. In other words, you can't get baptized unless. If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. In other words, salvation comes before baptism. We don't get baptized to get saved. We have several who will be baptized this morning. That baptistry water doesn't wash sin away. That comes right from the tap. That water will probably put more germs on them than they had when they go into it, okay? Uh, that water doesn't save anybody. But it's, it's something that follows salvation. And so uh, he, he said, uh, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's the crux of the whole matter. He said, I believe that Jesus, the Christ, the promised one of old, He's God the Son. He came and lived that perfect life. He died on the cross of Calvary. He was buried and he rose again. And that is the picture of baptism. And the Bible says he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. Did you see what Philip did here? He made sure of the man's salvation. Then he baptized him. And you really get the picture of baptism by immersion. They both went down into the water. The Bible's very emphatic on that. The point I want you to see is that Philip sought to help this man to be rooted in his new life in Jesus Christ. What is the Great Commission? In Matthew 28, the Bible lets us know the Great Commission basically is to share the gospel with people, declare his glory. When someone gets saved, to baptize them and then to teach people what the word of God says. If you're here today and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior and you haven't been uh, baptized, I would encourage you to do so. You say, well, what would hinder me? Well, nothing would hinder you if you know you're a believer. Baptism, it's a command from Scripture. We don't even have to pray about it. It's just what God wants people to do. And as Philip here was the kind of person that had a commitment to the Great Commission, he said, I'm going to tell this guy about Jesus, and after I tell him about Jesus, yeah, I'll help him get baptized, and I'll be that encouragement and, and take him along. I'll help him. I'll help him. That's the heart we need. When I was done talking with the man I mentioned earlier, uh, he got into a backpack that he had, and he said, Pastor, I want to give you something. And he gave me a, a picture of himself. And he kind of laughed when he gave it to me. He said, I, I'm sure you don't want a picture of me. Um, but he said, I want you to have one. And he said, he said this. He said, I just don't want you to ever forget that you changed my life. Now, I know what he was saying, and we're all aware I can't change anybody's life. That, that the point he was making is he came here in a moment in time, and God worked through a church family to minister to him and change his life. No glory goes to us. It's his glory, we declare. But you know what he was saying? He said, he was saying basically, Pastor, would you not forget that there are other people that will probably need the help I got here? Don't, don't, don't forget, you can, you can make a difference. My message for our church family is this. We can make a difference if we will. 21st century, contemporary, American, westernized Christianity is very far removed from those first century Christians of the Bible. Their commitment to Christ extended far beyond an hour on Sundays. They lived for Jesus Christ. They talked about him at work on Monday. They helped the, helped the poor. They fed the hungry. They made a difference. And, and my prayer for our church is, don't forget there's others. You know? And they never tell you up front. Generally, it's after the fact you find out the difference that was made. God can use us.
How will the Lord use us? Well, I believe he will use us as he used Philip. We need to be sensitive to the prompting of the spirit and sympathetic to the plight of the seeker and scriptural in the presentation of the savior and supportive in the progress of the saved. You can be the one that God uses to touch those around you if you'll be sensitive to that calling. And the call is to declare his glory. Our Father.